It's good to be here this morning. I have really enjoyed and been blessed by the service thus far. And pray that we'll continue to be blessed together here as we worship. I've also uh, appreciated the emphasis on our Good Shepherd. I think that is such a beautiful part of, that's been such a beautiful part of uh, the worship experience this morning. I want to take up again in Nehemiah and uh, be looking at reviewing here chapter 3 and 4. Uh, so if you'd like to, if you would, turn your Bibles to chapter 3 of Nehemiah. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in chapter 3. Um, we move, we've moved out of chapter 2 where uh, Nehemiah had a meeting with the leaders, with the nobles, with the people. And uh, <clears throat> it seems like they came out of that meeting sufficiently organized just to move right ahead into wall rebuilding. And uh, then we get into chapter 3 of Nehemiah. And um, we have here a record of what takes place. It's a noteworthy record. For example, a person probably wouldn't be too proud of having a Tekoite noble as their ancestor, as you would read about in verse 5. It says they didn't put their shoulders to the task. Well, they didn't put themselves to the task. And uh, in that record, you also find that Shalom and his daughters in verse 12, they'd be a noteworthy entry that you would kind of like to have in your family tree, in your family history uh, of ancestors. Um, it says though him and his daughters, they, they put themselves to the work. They built the wall. And those were some plucky ladies, it sounds like. So... Um, as you read through that chapter, I would just say be impressed by the hard work. It takes sweat, it takes toil, it takes pulled back muscles probably, and some other things, calluses, blisters, hunger, and a lot of other things to, to build a wall, to put up timbers, to pull rocks out of rubble and find a place for them and, and carefully put them in a new place. It just it's, it's hard work and uh, long hours and dirty, dirty, dirty. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever done any cleanup work, but it's the nastiest of work. Um, I've done some flood cleanup and it's really smelly. Now, I don't think this would have the same smell probably, but it would have been very dusty and very um, very dirty, undesirable work, especially on a hot day. That dust gets into your skin pores and, and uh, you know, would have just, just not been nice. I see people out there with sweat line faces, you know, dust here and the sweat lines coming down through and so forth. And uh, also I see a people that weren't well fed. They didn't have the American Red Cross there to kind of help out. Uh, they did have Nehemiah. I think he really put himself, he had resources, seemed to put himself to to keeping uh, people going and maybe he kept the food coming. I'm not sure. Um, but I suppose 
it was a little more like what we saw in Romania, where they came with their big loaf of bread and some pastram and, and uh, you know, some water, wherever they could. And it, was, it wasn't necessarily your classic potluck dinner. It was keep on going, eat some bread, eat some meat, keep on going. Um, and let's get this thing done. So that's what I would like for at least our takeaway to be from chapter 3 this morning. Then you go into chapter 4 and you're fleshing out the how. You're seeing more of this. And some questions that come to my mind as I look at the chapter 4 passage are these. Is the triumph of evil inevitable? That sounds tragic, doesn't it? To even have that question. Can evil be stopped? Can bad belief systems be effectively countered? Can good prevail? Can godly norms, moral norms that have been tragically broken be restored? Is going counterculture for the sake of holiness and godliness worthwhile? These are just thought, some thoughts that came to my mind as I was looking through these passages. And, and thoughts that come to my mind truthfully as I, as I look at living in our culture. Um, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'll, we'll think these things at times. So, first of all, I would like to give honor to God. He is the great wall builder. I believe we see in this book of Nehemiah a foreshadowing of a type of Christ. Uh, what Christ would do for His people. The restore of the sheepfold. Uh, Jesus, the gate of security. We read about this in John 10, verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, Verily, truly, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and are robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. <clears throat> Whoever enters through me, through Christ, will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Um, I didn't even know that Psalm 23 was on the menu for the class this morning, but I'm, you know, I should have, um, but I didn't. But I just find this so, so beautiful how these, these passages come together. The Good Shepherd Gate, the one who seeks the welfare of his people, Christ. You know, I want to tell you something that I thought about this morning when we were looking at Psalm 23, and that is, I'm not sure that we, at least as the men, focus on the Good Shepherd enough. Um, and this kind of hit me at the end of the class. Um, a shepherd, the job of being a shepherd is overrated. Now you kind of see this, you know, benevolent man with his rod and his staff that guide the sheep and so forth, and you don't really think of his welfare. But the shepherds that I saw, at least, in Romania, uh, these guys were the guys that were out with their sheep day and night, day and night, day and night. Through the snow, through the rain, through the heat, they slept in their wool garb. They rolled up in it with their sheep. They got fleas. They were stinky. Uh, it was not a fun job. And, you know, I just want to give glory to Christ. He came and He shepherds us. 
He shepherds his sheep. He came, he got in with the fleas, he got stinky. You know, he made himself as one of us so that we could uh, become his righteousness. And that to me is amazing. I just want to give glory to Christ for that. So here we are again. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out, go out and find pastors, find pasture. The good shepherd gate, the one who seeks the welfare of his people, the one who restores the broken and restores the walls of righteousness. Nehemiah restored so the ravager wouldn't have free access. Jesus restored the power so that the devil, so that the power of the devil would be broken. And so that God could be fully revealed to all that believe on Him. And then the contrast here in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come, Jesus has come, that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the sheep is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And here's kind of what the people of Israel were facing until Nehemiah, until God brought Nehemiah back into the picture here. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And I think about Job also, God building a wall around Job, a barrier that kept the powers of darkness from having access to Job and his family. And that's Satan's accusation here. He says, Hast thou not made a hedge about him, and about his house, about all that he hath on every side? And thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. You know, I believe that Job and God were working together here. This accusation against God was partly true. God had made a hedge around Job. The unspoken allegation that I think was is that Satan was saying, Job is just this happy-go-lucky guy that you have just created a hedge about, and he just has it going for him, you know. Um, he's just a happy-go-lucky participant here. I believe God blessed Job because Job served God. He would rise early in the morning, it says in Job 1.5, and he would offer burnt offerings for all his children. God honored Job's faithfulness with his holy presence. And I believe, fully believe, my friends, that where the power of God is, where the presence of God is, the devil no longer has the ability to disrupt or the power to disrupt. It is true that in Job's experience that God allowed Satan a certain inroad, a certain ability, and, uh, but, but he stayed Job's hand, uh, the, the devil's hand. Um, he set limits as to what he could do. Which would take us on to verse, the verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way so you can endure it. So this is maybe a bit of a preamble going into this passage of Nehemiah 4. The good shepherd and his role in caring for his people. And also our role. And I know that some of this may overlap with um, previous passages out of Nehemiah. And I promise you, I just didn't duplicate my notes. Um, But I feel like there's so much here for us to learn and for me to learn. And um, so if you see something that overlaps, why it's just a reinforcement. Nehemiah 4. It so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunders the land of captivity, to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sembalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our our adversary said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned in men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall and everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at the construction while the other half held the spears, the bows, and wore the armor. The leaders were behind all the house 
of Jerusalem. Those who built on the wall, those who carried the burdens, loaded themselves so that one hand they worked at the construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive when we are separated far from one another in the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them, and half of the men, half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let us, let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and working party by day. So neither I, my brother, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. So just a few notes here out of this passage. One is in verse 10. I see here Judah speaking. He's saying, and I, I'm assuming here when it says Judah, that it's a, it's a, a leader from within the, the people of Israel here that's concerned. He sees people failing. He sees labors not having the ability to move on. He sees all this rubbish. And uh, he puts that forward as an insurmountable, um, almost an insurmountable uh, obstacle. And I'm not, I'm not uh, here to say whether or not what Judah was saying was wrong. I think he was probably observing what was happening. But I will say this, that this is one of the favorite tactics of the devil whether in your personal life, church life, or any other level, he's quick to point out to you all these big obstacles that are between you and your goal. You know, it's great to have a New Year's goal, but 10 days into New Year's, uh, guess what? You know, there are all these obstacles. It's just insurmountable. And that's the way it is in life. That's the way it is. Um, this morning I was just thinking, he restoreth my soul. When our, it, takes, it takes a certain amount of dedication on our part. In fact, it takes our all to have our souls restored. And, and, the, and the devil, he just loves to you know, throw that at us. There's just too much rubbish for you to succeed. There's too much dirt and grime. There's no way possible for you to sort through all the mess and build again. All those sins you need to repent of and all those recitations you need to make. You know... Forget it. You can't do it. And uh, you just can't possibly do it. You know, and then the other, the other uh, angle is, is all those mistakes that others made that contributed to the mess you're in, your current failure, it's not your fault. Not your fault that that's where you're at. And why feel responsible to clean up their mess by changing your life? You know, these are things that, that, are, that can be real. And there's lots of other different angles the devil uses, but to, to discourage. You made a good start. You kind of did your job. And uh, now you can leave, you know, whatever it is. Um, or now you can just go back to doing whatever you were doing. He's always ready there to pounce on us, to, to take down the good work. And he, that's his, that's his goal in life. 
He's here to steal, kill, and destroy. The adversaries say they will neither know nor see anything till we be in the midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. The Jews who dwelt near them came and told us ten times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. A lot of intimidation tactic here. We'll kill you. We'll be upon you. You know, you're just just trying to, to make them not want to stay with the work. I just implore us, when these times of trial come, don't stop building. Don't collapse or give up in despair. Uh, Don't go down in a puddle. That's what the devil wants, but that's not what Jesus wants. There is Jesus. He is there. He's taking it all in. He's on our side. He wants his walls of protection around our lives. And he wants those to be built up. And he takes action on our behalf. He says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. He doesn't want us just to have a mediocre life. He doesn't want us just to be in the green pastures and, and eating for all we can eat. He wants us to be satisfied with the green pastures, so satisfied that we lie down in them. Like sheep do when they're chewing the cud. You know, they've ate all the grass they can eat. They're lying down in green pastures. They're just completely satisfied. There's nothing you know, more beautiful uh, and peaceful maybe than that, that picture. Um, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And getting there, it takes, you know, that's a peaceful place with our saviors, what it is, I believe. It doesn't mean it doesn't take an ongoing work, an ongoing effort on our part and giving it our all, but it means that it's a a place, a position of peace and of comfort with our Savior. And then in the following verses, we see a harmonizing of all these resources to a common cause. There's Nehemiah, there are the people. He's with the people. And then there is the Lord. Nehemiah says, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall and the openings. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Nehemiah saw these intimidating tactics that the enemy was throwing their way. And he called for response. The people rallied and they kept right on building the wall, even though it meant taking on an additional responsibility of protecting themselves. And then the Lord did his part. He blessed and he prospered their faith and their diligence and protected them from their enemies in their very vulnerable moment there. You know, they couldn't have been really more vulnerable, a more vulnerable moment. These people were tired. They were working day and night. Um, the adrenaline, you know, it, it works for a while, but after a while, you know, it's, people just can't live off, keep on going off of the adrenaline. There's, there's fatigue sets in. And um, I believe that's where the Lord stepped in. They were faithful. The people were faithful. The Lord stepped in and he protected them from their enemy. 
And I see body exercise going on there, like we read of in the epistles. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, 28 through 28 says this, that there would be no schism in the body or no separation in the body, but that the members should be of the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And it goes on to say that God has put in place different, uh, different offices, different helps in the church. But I see this going on here where the people came together and they, they rallied around each other, around the common cause, worked with each other, and um, the Lord blessed. And it happened when our enemies heard of what was, that it was known to us that they figured out what their plan was and that God had brought their plot to nothing. God had brought their plot to nothing that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. The enemy, seeming to know that it was fighting against the hand of God, went back home. It had schemed, it had snarled, it had fought and ridiculed, but really hadn't accomplished anything for its own cause. In fact, it had lost it had given some momentary fright, but in its process, the enemy in the process of doing what it had done actually lost ground. The unintended great accomplishment was that the enemy had served here as a tool to strengthen the Israelites' faith in God. Right? You know, they had come to intimidate, to tear down and so forth. And the Israelites in their distress in seeing that they turned to God and God strengthened their hand, the enemy left and Israel was much further ahead for it. And that's so often what happens when we go through the valley of the shadow of death like we read in the psalm this morning. Uh, God's hand is there in it, and He strengthens us. He brings our faith up another level. <clears throat> Verse 16 the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. There was a beautiful harmony of leadership. All those tasked with responsibility were for the good of Jerusalem, doing whatever they could to see the wall rebuilding succeed and their people to live in peace and security again. They were there working together, doing all they could. I'm sure there were a lot of needs. A lot of needs for cooperation, a lot of needs for getting supplies in, a lot of needs for, um, you know, just, just making sure that uh, everything was moving ahead and a wall wasn't going off in the wrong direction. Um, there were probably timber resources that needed to be worked out. The leaders were all together. And these were from different tribes and so forth, working together to make sure that this wall came together, came up together. Verse 17, those who built the wall and those who carried the burdens loaded themselves. They, held a, they did construction with one hand and held the weapon in another. And I'm not sure, I think that's a little figurative because it usually takes both hands to do construction. But I believe they were there. They were 
you know, ready to... They were different people. They were ready to defend their position. They were ready to see this wall get built. They had their swords girded by their side. Verse 18. Um, the trumpet was there alongside of Nehemiah. And I think there's a, a point here. There's um, something we can take away from this. And that for fathers and mothers and leaders, young men, young ladies, um, I think there's a good example here. If we wish to build and to succeed, we will also have to protect. We have the responsibility to protect. You know, you can't just move ahead and build. The enemy um, likes a good product. He just as just as much as as what uh, he likes anything else. He puts his eye on the valuable asset, like your children and your people. And he's willing to snatch. He's willing to take away. I believe the devil is after the finest. The more he can rob and destroy, the greater his delight. And so we have a responsibility as fathers, as mothers, as leaders, wherever we're at, with whatever we're doing, to also protect. And I think this covers, you know, we could start here and make this practical. But I think it, I think it covers every part of our life. Um, influences, it, it covers, um, yeah, just so many piece, parts and pieces of our lives. Um, we need to build, but we also need to guard. Then I said to the nobles and the rulers and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. And he calls them to work together, to hear one voice when the trumpet sounds, to rally. Goes on to tell them, our God will fight for us. And they labored. So how do we participate? How do we make this practical? How do we participate in God's building? Well, first of all, I think we need to make sure that we make Christ the boss. We bring every thought under the subjection of Christ, like it says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. Our weapons aren't carnal. They're not nukes or guns or knives. <clears throat> it's not us going up and putting on some kind of demonstration in some city close to us. Uh, no, we're, our weapons are, what does it say? Mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This is bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. And this has been a, a per, very personal uh, challenge to me as I thought about this recently. Actually, you know, bringing every thought into the captivity, into captivity to the obedience of Christ, every thought. This doesn't say every other thought, every third thought, uh, every one and a half thoughts. You know, it's every thought into the, into the obedience, of, into captivity to the obedience of Christ, narrowing these things in our minds or maybe expanding them in our minds. You know, often when we narrow, we're actually moving away from Christ. When we're expanding, 
we're seeing things in a much bigger picture. So we're, we're bringing these all into the captivity of Christ. And I can tell you the person that makes the conscious and ongoing effort to bring his every or her every thought, each and every thought, under the Lordship of Christ is the person that is effectively building the most impenetrable, the most impenetrable spiritual wall known to mankind. I believe that with all my heart. The person that brings every thought into the captivity of Christ is the person that is building the most impenetrable, not able to be penetrated, not able to be broken into, spiritual wall known to mankind. Also in contrast to what these people here in Nehemiah could have said or could have done, had those people focused on the ridicule on the threats, the terrible possibilities, and the magnitude of the task before them, they would have most likely lost courage and slunk back to a corner in their former insecure dwellings. A greater, a greater hopelessness would have enveloped them. And the bitterness of a hope lost would have snuffed out their spirit, I believe. But rather they focused on that particular job at hand, their gate, their portion of the wall. And in a sense, I believe that was them bringing their thoughts in subjection to Christ or into God's plan, God's will. So a few thoughts out of Philippians 4 here. Our role in bringing our lives or building godly walls in our lives. Pretty simple, pretty commonly understood to us but yet so hard to be fulfilled. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to man. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Wow. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then God's role here. And the peace of God, which passes, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Then it switches back to our role again. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So we bring our thoughts, our minds into, into the subjection of Christ. And we commit is the second thing. We commit. You know, look at these people's ongoing commitment to getting their wall built. <clears throat> they labored from daybreak until the stars appeared. They stayed there in Jerusalem. They didn't go to their homes. I'm sure that there were people in their homes out in the countryside picking up the slack. And uh, there's also may have left some of their own people unguarded. But they stayed there. They committed to getting that wall built. Um, these folks were all in. An observation made to me after a ball game the other evening by one of my boys was this. 
He said the difference between a really good softball outfielder and an otherwise, wasn't quite these words, outfielder player, but this is the meaning, is that the good player commits. And went on to tell me how that a good player knows that he may misjudge the ball's trajectory. He knows the ground isn't maybe always level, and then we were talking about this. He knows the ball may come up and whack him in the head hard enough so he sees stars while the sun's still shining. However, that player's committed to catching that ball no matter what. And, uh, you know, that's what it takes to succeed in anything is that kind of commitment. And especially in building in the kingdom. As the opposition intensified, so did their commitment, and so must ours. So we can expect challenges while we're building walls. Ridicule is something that is pretty normal, I believe. Tobiah brought this against Nehemiah and Sanballat, and, and they mocked and so forth. You know, and if a fox even goes up, and foxes are light creatures, you know, they're not going to break, roll a stone. But they were saying, even if a little fox goes up, it'll break down their stone wall. You know, today it's, we can just expect that it was foolish and nonsensical, this message of Christ that we carry. The unbeliever finds it foolish and he finds it nonsensical. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God says He will bring, destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's saying here to us, Christ is wisdom and he is power. But to those who don't believe, to the Greeks, and we live in a Grecian culture, I believe, it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense. I was reading some comment commentary uh, following an article about this this uh, demonstration that was going on up at Charlottesville. And I was just impressed how that Scripture could be so misused and so twisted and made to say things that it just that is in contrast to what Christ is and, st- and uh, brought to this world. Uh, one man had a long article about how that, you know, it's time we, the Spirit of God revives us and, you know, we as Anglo-Saxons start doing our part job and taking over the world and it ends up by saying amen, 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 and amen, you know. I'm like, wow, you know, where did he get that? I don't, that's not the Jesus I know. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, that's not most people. There are people on both sides um, that hate each other. But we're looking for Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that's what we need to stay focused on.
There will be hardship. Building a wall is not a walk in the park. It's soul searching. It's seeking the will of the Lord. It's kingdom work. And it's a work that will be misunderstood at times. The people had a mind to work, it says in verse 6. You know, if the people and the family doesn't have a mind to work, the building program won't get off the ground. However, when there's a mind to work, amazing things take place. And if God is blessing it, when God is blessing it, amazing things take place. And this, you know, in, in God's kingdom has to do with vision. Um, and we need to all catch that vision. There was a, a little story that I would like to, to read yet. You know, there was a person, or I'd like to say, uh, there was a person that came upon a, a building site and saw bricklayers laying brick. And uh, this person asked the one bricklayer, what are you doing? And he said, I'm laying some brick. And uh, she was okay. And she goes around and asks another person, what are you doing? Another bricklayer, what are you doing? He says, I'm bricking a building. And she was okay. She goes to another one that's working away with his heart and soul. And I'm going to imagine singing a song. And she says, what are you doing? And he's another bricklayer. And he says, I'm building an amazing cathedral. And, you know, that's the vision we need to get. Uh, We're laying bricks, yes. But in God's kingdom, we're building an amazing cathedral. We're actually part of it. Like it says in 1 Peter 2.5, you also as lively stones or as living stones, it says are built up a spiritual house. You know, isn't that amazing? We're not just laying bricks, but we're building blocks in this amazing cathedral. A spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. And if we catch that vision, um, and we seek the blessing of God, He will bless and He will and He will uh, grant His His grace on our lives. God bless you.